Welcome to Pipeline, Profiles in Philosophy and Education. I'm your host, Winston C. Thompson. Pipeline is a monthly short-form interview program focused on contemporary scholars. For more information and to subscribe to the podcast, please visit pipeline.fm. Pipeline is made possible by the generous support of the Education Department of the University of New Hampshire. This episode, we're joined by Kathleen Knight Abowitz, Miami University. Kathleen, welcome to Pipeline. Thank you. So, given the format of our program here, perhaps you can get us started by telling us about your entry into philosophical work in education. Did you uh, start with philosophy or education? Did they arise for you simultaneously? Um, How did you begin doing this work in philosophy and education? I feel like I came through a an unconventional route, but the longer I do this, the more I realize there may not be any one conventional route. But I was a religious studies, my almost minor, and a business economics major in college, and I chose my major for the wrong reasons to you know please my parents and and get a job. Um, sure. And, but I encountered philosophy of education in my master's program at the University of Vermont. In the early 90s, I was studying, I was getting a master's in education and student affairs and higher education. And I had a class in philosophy of education with a gentleman named Robert Nash, who uh, introduced me to the field and became a mentor. And I took every class I could with him, and I was pretty bored in my other classes in higher ed administration and student affairs. So I discovered philosophy of education and social foundations as a field, and then um, not long thereafter uh, entered a graduate program at the University of Virginia in social foundations. Um, So I came to philosophy of ed and social foundations together um, in really my graduate school uh, experience. I see. And so to your mind, was there a, a linkage or a connection between the earlier religious studies and then you mentioned also this higher ed administration? Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what, what's that connective tissue? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I'm not sure I've given it a lot of thought, but I do feel like um, I had a certain calling to education through uh, the kinds of relational sorts of work from my college experience, from my leadership experience in college, but then the religious studies courses all me, always pulled me in for the kind of perennial questions that I think I really love to engage as a person. And so I, um, I do feel like out of some, there was some combination of, of all of those things, including my own uh, questions uh, about the nature of education that I think were with me from a very early age because I was the first person in my family to go to desegregated schools. And mm. I grew up in Virginia and I entered schooling about the time schools were reluctantly desegregating in the state. And I feel like it sowed the seeds of a lot of questions for me, both about the democratic purposes of public education, as well as what it means to be in classroom spaces with with lots of different kinds of people who have lots of histories and strained relationships. All of those things sowed some interesting seeds um, that philosophy of education was a good path to go down to pursue. 
So given those sort of background interests, maybe you could tell us about some of the work that you've been doing. I mean, you mentioned the democratic purposes mm -hmm. of public school. You mentioned diversity, diverse uh, populations in a school setting. Um, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about how those um, uh, impulses have uh, been borne out in your, in your research. Yeah, so I have a couple of threads of my research, my scholarship. And some of it has been empirical, um, uh, linked to the philosophical, and some of it has been more purely conceptual. Um, yeah. But my first batches of work were around the notion of community and trying to understand um, the notion of community and how it sort of transpires in a public setting like a, a school. So my dissertation and some of my early pieces were around trying to explore this, this concept, and I was trying to navigate between the liberal communitarian kind of poles of that traditional debate about the self and about um, the self in relation to um, the community and the society. But I also, um, I also was arguing increasingly uh, from a kind of critical pragmatist perspective for a whole other notion of community altogether that's really available from, when, from within that liberal communitarian kind of dichotomized debate. Mm -hmm. So the notion of community really allowed me to sort of feel out my, my, my Deweyan sense of being a philosopher of education. And, um, and that came from both my training with Eric Bredo at the University of Virginia, as well as my own, um, as I mentioned earlier, my own kind of democratic sensibilities with regards to um, and, and really a democratic faith in the project of, of public schooling. Um, so I did some work on the, the notion of community in public context and right. then uh, led into uh, a questions around the public and what the public means um, in education. And so I used charter schooling, which was just coming on the scene at the time, uh, to kind of think about what uh, the notion of a public means when you begin to pull away from a universal uh, public school model in, the t in terms of like a charter model. And so I did some writing and thinking about um, the notion of a public um, and a more critical notion of the public through the writing of uh, Nancy Fraser. And, and, and so I did some work on charter schools. Um, but I stopped doing work on charter schools pretty quickly because um, the policy landscape, um, I was sort of conceptualizing what a charter school might be if it were truly public, um, but the policy landscape wasn't going and isn't going in that direction. So I was interested in, in charters as a kind of idealized kind of theory of, of democracy. But um, so I didn't, I didn't write a lot about charter schools beyond those articles. Um, but that led me into a notion of, of kind of reclaiming a, a notion of the public with an audience of educational leaders. Um, I work in a department of educational leadership at Miami University and have always been, I've never taught in a philosophy of education program. Sure. Um, I've always taught people who are preparing or in the field in general of educational leadership. And so I've always had to kind of position myself vis-a-vis -vis that kind of, those topics, that kind of audience, and um, those kinds of students. And so um, my most recent book was, is this trying to explicate a notion of public um, that speaks to that audience and the, and the kinds of constraints that they face, educational leaders face, 
um, in today's schooling and trying to dislodge notions of public and publicity that I find unhelpful and then trying to make an argument for a kind of uh, critical pragmatist notion of a public that might be operationalized today in schools. So that's more of my recent work as far as the democratic kind of strand of my work. That's really the most recent piece of it. So that's very fascinating to me, and there are a couple of things that I'd like to draw out there, if you okay. don't mind. Um, so let's first return to this uh, conception of community and this sort of critical pragmatist approach that you're that you're talking about. For those of our listeners who might not be very familiar with these traditions, can you give some uh, peek into the the uh, conception as you uh, as as you understand it? Again, the conception of uh, public and community that you're really drawing upon. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it comes back to a Deweyan notion of um, Dewey didn't believe um, community was a kind of shared experience of belief or history as much as it was a um, a sort of active, ongoing, futuristic sense of um, a project that we're involved in together, more embodied, um, more um, future-oriented in terms of um, solving problems and um, finding uh, ways that our individualized gifts and experiences can find kind of social direction. At the same time, I was developing a notion of community uh, by reading f- feminist philosophy and feminist critiques of the term community right. and the notion of community. And so um, I, I drew, I think, from both of those traditions to um, continue to develop a kind of critical pragmatist notion of community. But um, I, I eventually was more interested in a question of public uh, publicity than community because, um, A, I felt like I had said everything I needed to say or wanted to say about the term community and was more interested in um, as uh, of the public and the kind of dismantleization I see that term um, struggling with, that term uh, becoming more and more meaningless mm. um, through policy direction and through um, the political economy, uh, the direction of our political economy. So I uh, felt like publicity became a much more interesting problem to me than community. But it came out of the same, I think, Deweyan tradition. And so, so I think that's helpful. Uh, moving towards what you were uh, talking about just a few moments ago about the sorts of students that you're working with and the types of folks that you're thinking about sort of directing your work towards uh, engaging. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure that we often think of educational leadership and educational policy as being intimately connected to the sorts of questions that I hear you to be voicing and the sorts of questions that uh, might seem to arise in a uh, a philosophical study, at least uh, not in most ed leadership programs. Mm -hmm. Um, I wonder if you could speak to to that a bit, to the the need or the the, the use, the special value of uh, philosophical work in those domains. Right. I I work in a strange department of educational leadership. Sure. Because... um, we have a history of uh, uh, a strong history of critical theory, okay. um, and we're kind of a mix of ed leadership, social foundations, and curriculum studies people. And so, uh, it's a great, strange space to be a philosopher of education in because it's not. Some educational leadership programs are um, pretty instrumentalist, and in they're about reproducing educational leaders for today's kind of policy environments. Sure. And, um, and and we're a little bit 
different, I would say, and and so questions of democracy and um, and critical questions of democracy and education's purpose are really in the principles that organize my department. And um, so it's been a great space to um, have to be a philosopher that addresses relevant moral and political questions. It, it's there, The temptation is always to be very instrumental and say, here's how you do it. Sure. Um, but part of the great thing about being a kind of critical pragmatist in that space is that um, my tradition doesn't really allow that sort of thing to go on. Sure. <laughs> so um, it doesn't it doesn't represent philosophy as the answer to anything. And so um, uh, I've found it very fruitful to in my space to try to figure out how to help people think more uh, deeply. Um, and with some relevant texts around the concept of democracy that I find in my department. Um, so over the years, that's how I've really increasingly thought of my role, is to help bring some depth and clarity to a term that we really like to throw around, but um, don't always probe and, and engage, I think, at a deep enough level. And so um, my book project was really trying to help people gain some perspective on that term. Um, in a way that might be helpful for thinking about the work of educational leaders in public schools who face pretty impossible conditions. Um, sure, so. sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so earlier you had mentioned that you had sort of uh, left some of the work that you were doing on charter schools as the charter uh, movement seemed to be, uh -huh. uh, the wind seemed to be moving uh, uh, perhaps or blowing uh -huh. in a new direction. Um, I wonder about the work that you've just described and the way in which, uh, you know, uh, engaging these educational leaders uh, in the ways that you're doing. I wonder about uh, the, the future of that work. I mean, uh, to your mind, what sorts of questions uh, should those entering the field be asking, or what sorts of questions should we be perhaps returning to if we're uh, to remain uh, hopeful uh, for the future? That's a great question, uh, and it's one I've been thinking about a lot. I'm teaching this course on the purposes of higher education, and I'm currently a chair of my department, and I and, and I didn't mean to do this, but I picked the bleakest set of books that you could possibly imagine. We're sure. right now reading David Blacker's um, oh, new sure. book. And, um, and I find, and I'm also have been turning towards existentialism in my own work um, through a new project. And I think that's partly because I'm trying to find, um, I'm trying to find uh, uh, some hope, some sources of hope and positive forward action without bad faith. And mm, sure. I think it's very much situational. Um, mm. And it is always in conversation with one's colleagues and increase and, and colleagues who are not philosophers of education, but who appreciate the questions that philosophers can bring. And so here's an example. Like last week, we're in this we're in this meeting where people are asking about people in my school of education are asking what are we doing to respond to people who are asking about standardized testing and asking about opt-out and asking about, you know, how is our school responding? And so I, I, I just emailed my colleagues and I said, what if we have a summer three-day institute that tries to help districts and, and parents in districts kind of grapple with 
um, these questions like, sure. do I opt out? You know, what, uh, you know, is opting out the best solution sure, to our yeah. present circumstance? If, if you're an educational leader, if you're a principal, do you help your parents opt out? Do you not help your parents? You sure. know, like, do you st- so we're seeing our alumni, um, in our programs really grappling with these questions as teachers, as parents, as principals, as superintendents. And so I'm hoping we can put together some, you know, sort of opportunity for people to learn some things from people in my department about testing, about policy, about um, opting out, about other opportunities for resistance or pushing back or what that looks like, what are your choices. but not through a series of philosophy lectures, sure. more through a kind of calling people together around some common questions and concerns to figure out how people might get together, make use of some tools that help them do their work with, inten- with intention that they can live with, you know, mm-hmm. do their work and go to bed at night and feel like I've done my job as an educator in good faith, not in this bad faith of acting according to the policy directives of the moment. So I don't know. It's all very organic, and it's in a community, it's in a diverse community of scholars in which I'm often the only philosopher of education in the room, but I think we increasingly, in terms of our field and where our field is going... um, I, I don't think that's rare at all. Sure. I think we're often a philosopher or two in a in a department of teacher education or curriculum or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and so um, I think it's um, it's a productive space in which to work if you f- if you understand your work as in conversation with other disciplines and problems um, mm-hmm. other than other than the ones that philosophers of education have traditionally sort of grappled with. So. Kathleen Knight-Abowitz, thank you so much. You've given us a lot to think about, and uh, in some ways I, I hear your response there, really uh, returning full circle to your earlier interest in community. Mm-hmm. Thanks once again. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for inviting me. For more information and to review previous episodes, please visit www.pipeline.fm. A very special thanks to Moby for use of his song, Summer, as our theme.